So, praise the Lord. We can argue about this later. We don't have to argue it about right about it right now because we don't have time. But um, at Queen City Church, we absolutely believe in women preachers. In fact, we think that more women should be preaching, preaching the gospel. Amen. Yeah. But if you want to argue about that, argue with me later. So, but uh, so. Right now, the Lord has us in a season where the model of, of, of our, our preaching ministry here is that we've got this team effort going. And uh, we've been thinking lately about how we would love, love, love to find some fiery women preachers. And uh, I, was having, I was having trouble finding somebody. And then I asked Tanner Fink one day, not that he's a woman, but I asked him, I asked him if he would consider preaching at some point. He goes, well, he goes, I'm not necessarily good at that, but my wife May is fantastic. And I said, okay, so how, how do, how can I, how can I find this out? He goes, well, go on YouTube, look her up. (laughs) And there's some really fiery demonstrations of the power of the Holy Spirit. So I was like, oh man, this is it. So what we've what we've done is we've asked May to come up here. I've asked her only to prepare a 10-minute message. So um, she's going to come up and give us her best shot. So May, would you come up here? Give her a big old hand. <laughs> so much pressure. Okay, I'm ch- oh, there is a clock up here. I was worried. So I thought instead of talking for 10 minutes, I'd just uh, sing an oracle over you. I'm just kidding. But wouldn't that be really awkward? That would be really, really awkward if I did that. I would never be invited to do this again. Gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks. My name's May. Um, I moved to Charlotte. At July will be two years ago. My husband and I moved here from Montana. And we randomly found Queen City Church. Um, we have an old friend who I messaged through Instagram, didn't really know her. And she's like, well, here's a couple churches, but I haven't been to this one. You should check it out. And it's Queen City. And at this time, we didn't even know. We were living with my parents. We just moved here. We didn't know what we were doing, um, that we were going to even move to Charlotte. We had planned from to move to Asheville. And lo and behold, we stroll over to Visualite with our one-year-old daughter then, and we're like, we found home. It was, And we've never had that experience before that we walked into a place and we're like, oh, this is where we're supposed to be. And, and it just has grown from there. So we have been so beyond blessed to find Queen City and for the Lord to bring us here, and it's been phenomenal. All that to say, Andy asked me a little bit ago if I would speak, and he's like, just make sure it's 10 minutes, which is difficult for me, because if you know me at all, I talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, um, so I'll, I'll rein it in, but I have been spending this last like month, you know, just like, Lord, what is it you want me to say, trying to figure out this like, you know, profound revelation from the Lord, this like amazing theology that has been dropped from the Holy Spirit into my soul that I have to share out or this dream I've experienced with the Lord. And I've been feeling so much uh, anxiety about 
speaking, which is not normal. I am a very, if you know me, I'm a very confident person. Um, when I get embarrassed, you can't tell that I'm embarrassed. I just kind of like laugh and talk a little faster. <laughs> now you'll all know. But I think because I was stressing so much on saying something that I thought had so much value and something new that I haven't ever, you know, spoken about before because I love this church so much and I believe in this church so much. And all that, like, striving to try and think of something really great to say, I just kept hearing the Lord go back again, like, in my soul and the Holy Spirit, just, like, remember what I've done for you. Like, remember the goodness that I've given you and the joy that I've sustained you on. So the only thing I kept coming back to was the joy that the Lord gives us. Like, the joy that we find in Jesus and how good he is to us. Like, the joy when Jesus came to earth, went to the cross because of how much he enjoys me. How much the Lord loves me. And I was thinking about, you know, I am so busy. I have a three-year-old. I work full-time. I'm in school full-time for architecture. And I just... I don't, I'm not, I'm not a busybody, but I literally can't not be a busybody because I have to be. And it's so hard for me to just rest in the joy of the Lord and remember that He likes me because I forget that. So really, I was thinking of the first time I had a revelation that the Lord liked me and how that moment changed my life because I always knew the Lord loves me. I mean, the Lord loves you. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Jesus loves me, this I know. All those songs you hear as a kid. But growing up and being like a fiery high schooler and college student, I went to a Bible theology school. My dad said, who is here, was like, maybe you should go to college. And I was like, no, I'm going to go to Bible school. It worked out. He supported me. Um, and being like having all the answers as a young person, which you probably think, well, didn't you just graduate high school? I know I look like I'm 20 years old. Um, but just going, I remember vividly the moment that I felt for the first time that the Lord liked me. And that completely, completely wrecked my view of him. It completely changed everything that I had done before. It changed from that striving of, oh, I just need to spend more time with the Lord so I can gain more oil, so I can be with him and be smarter and understand like his theology better. And all that was, that was blown up, guys, because Jesus liked me. And as I try to get away from that, like the Lord says, no, May, remember the basic foundation that I came for you. I came for you and I would come for you again. I don't have to, but I love you and I like you. And the Lord has sustained me in that way. And I think about like us as a community and how we can go with that together. And I just wanted to... I just wanted to rest as a group and remember the joy that the Lord can give us, knowing that he is a good, good daddy, daddy who sustains us with his love.
Because I can forget the goodness that he gives us all the time. And what are we here for? Like, why, why am I even here if not to, to rest in God? If not to like latch on to him and like be given this joy and run with him in this joy? Um, Andy last week, if I can open this up, I'm not a tech savvy person at all, which is also strange because I think you're supposed to be when you're a millennial, but um, Andy last week, he was just saying like, you know, let the Lord take us to places that are good and joyful that we don't understand that are going to make us look silly and maybe be a little bit embarrassed. But that is where true joy is. That is where the goodness of the Lord is. Mm. So I just want us to not be too grown up for that. I just want us to not be too old and too smart and too worried about our correct theology to remember that Jesus wants to take us into joyful places all the time. Like he is so kind. When Robin was saying he healed like the multitudes, Whenever I think about Jesus' kindness, I think about how he would stay up and wait, and he healed all that came to him, not just a few. Like, he healed everyone because that is his character because he is so kind, and that's what he wants us to be brought into. How we do that, I guess, become like a child, how that works. Oh, gosh, I don't know. But I do know that the Lord is so kind and I do know that that we get to partake in that. And the only thing that he requires of us is to just come. And the fact that the Lord is gave us his spirit so that we can feel his love so that we can chase after him. That, that just, that's what tears me up is the kindness of Jesus to give us his spirit to show us his love so that we can partner with him forever. And I know I'm like 10 minutes. All right. I got to get this done. And, and I'm, I know that I don't have like these profound words, but Man, the simple gospel. Like, that's it. Like, Jesus came. He loved us. His joy was already full, but he wanted us to be made reconciled to him. Like, there's nothing more than that, guys. Jesus is good. We are his joy, and we get to partner with him in that joy. And he likes you. Like, he likes you, and he loves you, and we are partnering with him, and he asked us to go along with him and do it with him. He could do it by himself, but he doesn't want to because he loves us and he likes us. So I'm just going to pray. I've got a minute. So uh, can I pray, Robin? Yeah, let's just, Jesus. Hmm. Thank you that you have chosen us to partake in your joy. Thank you that your burden is light, Lord.
I ask that you would give us a fresh spirit of joy, that we would know and we would feel your joy today, Lord, that we would be able to be like children and that we would walk in the fullness of your joy together, God. I just think there is so much joy that the Lord wants to give us as a family, and I just love that. I feel like we have come together just as we've moved to the Visualite, and the Lord is really grown us as a family and he's giving us a spirit and and I feel that each week there's more of his spirit here and it's just overwhelmingly it's just so wonderful so Jesus I just thank you I ask for your spirit to continue to pour out I ask that you would help us know that you are a good father that you're a good daddy that you chose us because you loved us that you were joyful and that you bore a cross so that we could be made whole with you, that we are your joy. I ask that you would let us feel again that we are your joy. Give us that revelation. Mm, we love you, Lord. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Andy. It's amazing. amazing. Praise the Lord. All right, welcome back to the parable of the sower week two y'all ready for this no yes maybe praise so thank you my son-in-law he's always got my back let me uh let me take a minute and uh brag on the lord for a little second here uh, i i feel like maybe over the last couple years i've i've publicly testified um uh about all the seasons in my life where I was just barely getting through. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're not careful, you'll spend the rest of your life letting that be your testimony. You know, those seasons are real. I'm not saying you won't have those hard seasons in your life. You can't deny that stuff when it happens. And, and you should have a testimony of endurance through those seasons. Amen. When you're going through hard times, you want to have a testimony that you are enduring, that you're pressing on, okay? But if you're not careful, someday you'll wake up and a harvest will come and you won't know how to enjoy the harvest because you're just waiting for the next bad season to show up. And I had the Lord rebuke me in the kindest way recently. He sent a harvest my way, but in my mind, I was just waiting for the other foot to drop. And he said, Andy, stop. And enjoy this harvest. He goes, I got up on the cross so you wouldn't have to. I already endured. So you don't have to endure that. So even in those hard times, man, there's this river of joy that Savannah and Matt were singing about. That really is on the inside of us that is actually trying to make its way out of you. So I had this experience happen to me. Last week, um, I was at the beach with my family. I had, I had two fantastic miracles of provision happen to me in about a seven-day span of time. And it wasn't the kind of miracle of provision where you get your utility bill paid for. It was a kind of miracle of provision where your dreams come true. I mean, how cool is that? Like, I am so happy when I get my utility bill paid for, but how much better is it when you have your dreams come true? 
So I'm minding my own business. I'm sitting in my car in front of the Starbucks. I get a phone call from a friend and he says, Andy, I don't generally get nudges from the Holy Spirit, but I feel like I've got one. And here's the deal. I want to send you to New York City for a few days of rest and relaxation. I was like, fantastic. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Like out of the blue. I mean, I, I was, I was kind of stunned the rest of the day. I was sitting on the beach under my beach umbrella. You know, redheads don't go out into the sun. We have, we have umbrellas when we go to the beach, you know? I was reading my, my book of theology and drinking a margarita, but I was mostly just thinking about my trip to New York City and how I have dreamed about going to New York City for years and years. You know, if you've watched enough Law and Order, you feel like you've been there, but I never have. You know, so I was so excited, so pumped. But but the the, the thing was, is that I uh, it was only a ticket for me. But I thought, man, it would be so much better if Amy, Amy went with me. Because I don't want to have to go have the best trip of my life and come back and explain it to her. <laughs> and I just heard the Lord say, well, you have not because you ask not. So I made one phone call, and in under 36 seconds, my wife was going with me too. Yeah, it's fantastic. So it gets even better, all right? About a year ago, I discovered that I needed something in my life. I, 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 I've got a job. I've got, I've got a music thing that I do. But I didn't really have something that I did on my own that was, it used a different part of my brain. You know, you gotta figure out a different part of your brain to use occasionally. If you're using all these parts of your brain, you'll wear out, you know? So my wife a year ago bought me a, uh, a, a, a fishing pole. My dad used to take me fishing when I was a kid. She buys me this fishing pole and I said, man, this is great. So, um, I, I went out for the next month and I would go over to the lake and I just kept catching bass after bass after bass. And I'm just, this is fantastic. I have found what I'm going to do till I'm 95 years old with my free time. I am going to go hunt bass, you know? <clears throat> so my wife bought me this $50 fishing rod. It's called an ugly stick. And I am so thankful for that stick. But being a new fisherman, I spent a lot of my time on YouTube figuring out how to become a better bass fisherman. Well, when you look at the pros, they got all the toys, don't they? So I started seeing these like $400 bass rods, you know, where the rod itself was 200 and then the reel was another 200, you know, not to mention the really expensive line. But I was like, man, I would really, really love to have one of these. But $400 for a fishing pole is not in the family budget. But about a month ago, I, I went to Amy and I said, you know, honey, it would be really cool if I could get one of these rods. And she said, do it, honey. She said, you should do that. That'd be great. And I was like, okay. So me and Henry, we went down to Bass Pro Shops and I was overwhelmed. I did not buy a pole that day because I could not figure out what I should do. There you have so many rods and reels. I walked out so sad and depressed one, I didn't want to pull the trigger on spending three or $400 on a new rod. And two, I just didn't know what choice to make, right? So this past week, I'm sitting in my office at work, and a friend of mine is sitting on the couch in my office. And I'm doing work there, and he's on his laptop, and he's doing work too. 
And he, he looks at my computer and he sees a YouTube video up of a video, a fishing video that I'm watching. He goes, Andy, you like to fish? I said, oh man, I'm obsessed. It's an obsession. <laughs> this was, uh, 6 p.m. on a Wednesday night. I was working extra. So this was actually, it was at 6 p.m. He's sitting in there and he says, what do you, are you, you like fishing? I said, yeah, I'm obsessed. He goes, what are you watching that video for? I said, you see this pole here? I'm going to get me one of these, man. He goes, you want one of those poles? I said, yeah, I do. He goes, I can get you one of those poles. I can get you a reel just like that. Not only that, I can get one for you and one for your son. Like I'm in my office at church, minding my own business. A guy shows up there who's never at the church, sits down on my office, sees my computer, and he goes, your dreams are about to come true, buddy. Not just a poll for you, but a poll for your son. I felt like there was something very prophetic in that. Like the blessing isn't for me, but it's for my children. It's for my legacy. And that's true for us all. The Lord's not just interested in blessing you. He's interested in blessing your legacy. Because he knows in the fullness of that dream coming true, good things are going to happen to the people around you. And my testimony has changed a little bit. My, my testimony has gone from one of endurance to one of harvest and fullness. And I want the Lord to test me more. <laughs> test me with some more provision, Lord. <laughs> oh, man. He is so good, isn't he? He is so good. Praise the Lord. Well, if you have your Bible and you're interested in opening it up, you should open it up to Matthew chapter 13. This is from the parable of the sower. We talked about the parable of the sower last week fairly in depth. This is part two of that. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting. Um, I'm new. I am new to preaching. I've, I'm old to writing songs and music. I've, I've, I have kind of figured that out. But when you enter into preaching or public speaking, it's, it's a new thing. And it's like anything. You can get better at it. And um, so what I've been doing is I've been studying different preachers. And I have been particularly um, inclined towards studying African-American preachers. And, and the reason is, is that their, their study of the word and their delivery of the word feels to me like they take the word into them and then rather than just exchanging information out of their brain to the other people in the room, they take the word into them and then they break themselves open and just let the word spill out as it were. And I, I kind of like that because it, 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 it takes this from going from intellect to intellect to heart and soul to heart and soul. And I think the reason that's important for me, at least, is because I feel like the stuff that I am trying to reach in the word is a little bit beyond my intellect. But I know I'm catching it in my heart and in my spirit. 
And I know I can give it away that way too. And we are intellectual beings, but we're also emotional and spiritual and physical beings, right? So we receive information, not just through our minds. So the exchange of the word is, is something that we actually have to not just tune our minds to, but tune our whole beings to. Amen? All right. Do you remember that quote that I had last week that I tried to give you, but I, I lost it? I found it. So, so here it is. I love this. Mystery is not the absence of meaning, but it is the presence of more meaning than can be comprehended. Let me say that again. Mystery is not the absence of meaning, but it's the presence of more meaning than can be comprehended. And that's good news because last week I compared, I said that the kingdom of God is mysterious. It works in a mystery. It works in hiddenness. It works in secrecy. The kingdom of God is mysterious. That would be bad if mystery meant that there was an absence of meaning. But what it means is there's more beauty in the mystery of God than we can comprehend currently. And we're on a journey with the spirit of God to find out all of that beauty. Are you with me so far? So it goes like this. Jesus shows up talking in parables. And I said last week that parables are Jesus's attempt to compare two things that are not like each other on the outside, but really are. Because he's trying to get people to understand something that is different from what they expected. So when Jesus first came along and he starts using the phrase, the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is among you, the kingdom of God is within you, they were confused because their expectations were different than what he was about to communicate. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they were experts at what the kingdom of God was going to look like and how it was going to come. And mainly it looked like a very powerful, forceful military move that would create an exclusive kingdom for a chosen few, namely the Jews. So when they heard the phrase kingdom of God, they were expecting the Roman Empire to fall and the Jewish people to rise and for them to be put in their right place. Okay. And Jesus is the kind of mysterious Messiah, because on one hand, he's doing a lot of great things. He's going around casting out demons, healing the sick, walking on water, doing all of these fantastic miracles that are visible to the eye. In fact, he said it. He said, if you see me by the spirit of God casting out a demon, what does he say? The kingdom of God is among you. So those signs, those wonders were actually proofs of the kingdom coming into their midst. 
And isn't it fantastic when the kingdom of God arrives in your life with two brand new fishing poles? I'm telling you, that's the kingdom of God. Isn't it amazing when God shows up and you get a trip to New York City? That is as much the kingdom of God as anything else. But Jesus said this, you have to have eyes to see, pay attention, pay attention to what I'm saying, because I'm about to describe the kingdom to you in a way that's different than casting out demons, that's different than healing the sick, that's different than walking on water. I'm going to describe the kingdom of God to you in a way that is something that you don't expect at all. And so in Matthew 13, out of the blue, he just starts talking about this farmer. Let's read that together. Beginning in chapter 13, verse 1. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat. And sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered. Because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and asked him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. But not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Man. I feel like I'm going to be studying this passage of scripture for the rest of my life. Because I'm reading it right now and I'm like, I don't have a clue what this is actually saying. Who's with me on that? So I'd like to take us back to some of the comparisons that I made last week. So in my interpretation of this this particular parable, I want you to think of the seed that is planted As Jesus, the word made flesh, as is spoken in John chapter one. Okay, the thing about Jesus is this. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the embodiment of the kingdom. So when you hear Jesus talking about the kingdom, it's not something separate from who he is. He is a walking, talking, breathing embodiment of the kingdom of God. If you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, look at what Jesus said. Look at what Jesus did. Look at how Jesus thought. 
So the word and Jesus are the same. The word and Jesus and the kingdom, they're the same. They're all the same thing. They're interchangeable. And here we have in this parable, we have the sower. And I, I like to think that it's God the Father. And God the Father is casting the seed. He's broadcasting the seed everywhere into the world. According to the terms of this parable, the sower was a careless farmer. He broadcasted liberally and without prejudice. He did not see a a spot of ground over here where he withheld the seed, where he withheld the word made flesh, where he withheld the kingdom. There wasn't a plot of land over here that was filled with rocky soil that he didn't cast the seed on. In fact, there's four descriptions of where the seed fell that encompasses all of the world. Only one of those places was good soil. Did the father withhold the kingdom from the other soil, the other places? No. He cast it liberally. Among the thorns, there's the kingdom of God. On the path where nobody was expecting it, there's the kingdom of God. What's the other place that's not the good soil? There's the thorns, there's the road, the rocky soil. The sower doesn't look at the rocky soil and go, "Mm, I better be careful with my kingdom message and keep it over here with the good soil. He's going, I love this world so much. I love all these people. Here's the kingdom. Take it. Do what you will. I mean, I think I've read that parable my whole life and thought that the ground that the seed was falling into was an indicator of the power of that seed. It's not. The seed is the seed is the seed. All of the inherent virtue and power found in the seed was in the seed already, no matter which ground it happened upon. Are you with me? What's really interesting is, you know, that part of the the parable where the birds come and eat the, the seed? Well, in the natural world, how are seeds spread? By birds eating them, digesting them, and pooping them out. I mean, there's all kinds of implications and ramifications of this parable that go so far beyond what we're looking, we've looked at so far. But man, when I began to see that, it just, it kind of opened my eyes. I was like, oh man, this is fantastic. It doesn't matter where I go. I'm just walking in the kingdom of God everywhere I go. And, and it's, it's my great joy. It's my great joy to walk through the earth and go, ha, huh, the kingdom of God is here. That's what I get to announce. May was talking about that joyful participation. I mean, it's not that God likes you and he likes me. It's like he enjoys everybody. When you're at the 7-Eleven over here on on uh, Clanton Road over here and you're pulling in to get gas, welcome to the kingdom of God, people. 
When the guy is on the curb there smoking cigarettes, asking you for money, welcome to the kingdom of God. It's on you to announce that guy sitting to the curb, child of God, welcome to the kingdom of God. What do you mean I'm the child of God? I'm in the kingdom of God. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. Just believe it. You're in, baby. So, so you got Jesus and he's talking about all these great miracles that he's doing. I call that Jesus a short game. That's the short game that Jesus is playing, but, but Jesus got a long game too. It's important for us to know this because your life is long. You got a lot of years in your life to live. Your life is important and your life is long. And you have to know that God is playing the short game in your life and he's playing the long game in your life. And if you don't understand the long game implications, you'll get discouraged and you'll get put out with the Lord because you don't know how a seed works. But I'm going to tell you this morning that a seed is the most powerful comparison of the kingdom of God that you can ever lay a hold of. And if you have ears to hear it and eyes to see it, it'll change the whole way you view the course of your life. Seeds are hard to see and easy to miss. God working in your life is often hard to see And easy to miss. This is interesting. Seeds only work when they're covered up. They only work when they're hidden. Have you ever felt like you're covered up and nobody knows you exist? Or the trial of your life that you've walked through by yourself for years and years has just been totally forgotten? And no one understands you. No one empathizes. And definitely God is not on board with what you're going through. I would say that the hidden nature of your trial or the hidden nature of your suffering or the hidden nature of whatever it is you're going through is actually how the kingdom of God grows and expands. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about the kingdom of God. It doesn't look like very much. The kingdom of God doesn't look like very much if you see it. And when it finally gets around to doing its greatest work, it can't be seen at all. That's scriptural, people. If you want to know how strange the workings of the Lord are, just look at the life of Jesus. As far as Messiahs go, he was the very worst that the world had seen. In fact, he was a sheer and utter disappointment to all those who were expecting a Messiah to show up. But his life was exactly what a seed looked like. They were all expecting this incredible display of fireworks and military power. And the guy, the one guy 
who not only claims to be the son of God, but happens to do miracles to prove it, decides to die on a cross. Well, he did resurrect, but 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. He virtually disappeared. He went away. He dissipated. And I'm, I've had that question in my heart. Like, Lord, Lord, we're all walking around. Like we understand exactly what all of that meant, what the implications of that all were. But I have this feeling that the Lord is leading us into an understanding of the long game that he's playing. And he's working this seed, this kingdom seed in in and through our lives. And the implications are that when the seed dies, falls into the ground and dies, what happens? There's a harvest. There's a harvest associated with your life that you haven't imagined yet. There's a harvest associated with what you have gone through in your life that you are actually going to reap the joy of. The scripture said that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. The same is true for you and me. (sighs) So... So I don't know about you, but I've been waiting my whole life for the superhero God. Just just like the people who were around Jesus when he was born into the world and raised. All those people were looking for superhero God. And instead, Jesus starts talking about seeds. How confusing would that be? We're expecting Superman And he starts talking about a mustard seed or a grain of wheat or a speck of yeast. Jesus starts talking about all the really small, invisible things that do not do anything except fall into ground and die in order to do anything at all. That's the exact opposite of what they expected and isn't the exact opposite of what we've expected of God in our lives. But I'm telling you, this way is actually better, y'all. This way is actually a way for you to join into the life of Christ and the life of Christ be joined into you in a way that if he answered all of your problems right now, you would be bored for the rest of your life. There's actually a joy associated with this process that if you continue to deny it and reject it for the rest of your life, you will be in a constant state of frustration. But if you get this and you realize that the kingdom of God is expanded when you allow this process to happen in your life, man, the harvest of joy that's going to follow you will be unprecedented. And here's the beautiful thing. We don't have to wait for the revival fire to fall for this to happen. You don't have to spend the rest of your life waiting for the next wave of revival for this kingdom to work. This kingdom is always working all the time, everywhere. And when you least expect it, it's working the most. I'm telling you, this will bring so much peace to your inner man 
When you realize that the seasons of God have nothing to do with whether you sing loud enough, stand on your head long enough, fast long enough, pay your tithe on time, although we do appreciate that. You know what I'm saying, though? Go to that conference, whatever. I'm telling you, the kingdom is in operation 24 hours a day. All of the time, when you're sleeping in your bed, when you're scrubbing the toilet, when you're changing your kids' diapers, when you're sitting at your computer at work, the kingdom of God is a seed, and it's working. And it will never stop working for your life. Oh, Jesus is like a seed. He's hard to see. All that Jesus does is like a seed, small and hard to see, taking place in secret. And it can rarely be felt or observed. I would just offer this one critique of us, the American church, is that we have gotten so good at the production side of church that we've placed before our eyes a metaphor that isn't actually oriented to the kingdom. It's not that that whole thing is bad. It, it's just that if you look at it long enough, you'll come away with the wrong idea of how the kingdom of God operates that's why i never worry when we have awkward moments up here no i'm serious i we have discussions around here among the leadership and we sometimes we have conversations and they go like this wow if only we could get things less awkward but you know what Praise God for those things, man. Because the Lord is in those spots just as much as he is in all the slick transitions. In fact, I feel like that's a prophetic mantle the Lord has given this church. To not be afraid of things when they're low and slow and awkward and invisible and hard to see. Right? Because we've trained our eyes and ears to be filled with smoke machines and charismatic speakers. I want to be a charismatic speaker. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not down on charismatic speakers. I, I want to be a good speaker. What I'm trying to say is that that is not what the kingdom of God is actually built upon. The kingdom is built on a seed, with a seed, by a seed. It's an interesting thing in first Peter. I think it's first Peter or second Peter. Uh, uh, Peter talks about the seed that won't die. There's an imperishable seed that you're born from. It's a seed that won't die. And I have a little trouble with that because Jesus says that nothing will happen unless the seed dies. So I was thinking about that and I, and I, I figured it out like this. That imperishable seed that Peter talks that's not going to die, it's just like a continuing thing. Like it dies, and it gets resurrected, and it dies, and it gets resurrected, and it dies, and it gets resurrected, and it dies. And you get so good at dying that like one day you're going to wake up in your 60s, and you'll see death coming along, and you're like, ah, I've done this enough times now. I got this. 
My, my death muscles are worked out. Because my resurrection muscles are worked out. I know how to rise from the dead. Because that seed that won't die is on the inside of me. Oh, I hope this blesses somebody today. All right. So I want to leave you with this. Um, so the only... Okay, how do I put this? Okay, back to the parable. There's four, there's four types of ground. Only one of those types of ground was described as being good soil. All right? Unless you get the wrong idea, or, or lest you get the wrong idea, the good soil is not the really good church-going religious people who pay their tithes every week. It is not that. The good soil is those who know how a seed works. And they trust and believe that it is working without any help from them. Did you catch what I just said? The only soil that's any good to the father sowing that seed is those who realize that there is nothing in them with which to make the seed actually work. I lied. That wasn't my last point. This is my last point. I I, want to say this because this is really important. When we say the kingdom of God, a lot of times we get this idea that it's a virtual kingdom, but it's not. It's an actual kingdom. Everything that I'm just talking about right now, this doesn't virtually or theoretically happen. This is the actual way the kingdom of God is in operation. So when you're reading through the scriptures and you come across that phrase, the kingdom of God, you need to take it into your heart and into your spirit as something that is more actual than anything that we actually see with our eyes. And with that, I'm, I'm finished. Wouldn't you like to know what that was about? (laughs) Oh, that was really good. I preached a couple weeks ago on the kingdom, and I'm preaching again next week on the kingdom. So it's a a pretty hot topic, and there's just a lot lot to be said about it. One of the things that um, years ago troubled me was three out of the four soils weren't any good. And I thought they're descriptions of people. And I think that is true because one of them was anxious soil, right? Cares of this life. But the thing is, the Bible also helps you change your soil. You you could be shallow. Everybody starts shallow. Do you realize? You could be worried. Everybody gets worried. But you don't have to stay that way. And I was... Looking at um, a, a couple of things, 
One of the things is the soil speaks of your heart. That's where that seed is sown. It at least speaks of your heart, speaks of other things. And there's a prophecy that Jesus quotes in this same portion of Scripture, which sounds like God's the one that hardens your hearts. God's the one, if you don't believe, it's because he did something to you. But actually, what it says is for everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation, and he has, until he has more than enough. But those who don't listen with an open, teachable heart, even the understanding that they think they have will be taken from them. That's that portion that says he that has little will lose even what he has, and he that has much will gain more. It's about a heart condition. And you can do something about the condition of your heart. And actually what May was saying and what Andy was saying to me really go together. Um, Donna and I spent four or five days at the beach, and I spent my reading time reading the Passion Translation and uh, No Country for Old Men. I was reading a pretty bizarre book, but uh, the Bible got me out of it. So, um, But the Passion Translation is rekindling my faith. I've been saved for over 40 years. Brian Simmons wrote the Passion Translation, and we have the privilege of him speaking here the first weekend in May, which is, is going to really be good. And so I was reading his translation in John 15, And I felt like the Lord gave me a key as to how our hearts can improve. Who would like to have an improved heart heart condition? Well, it says in Matthew 15, verse 9, I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. Let me read that again. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. And then we have an example of the great apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And these last words are so valuable. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's say that together. Who loved me, gave himself for me. If I was writing a letter to someone, which Paul was writing to the Galatians, and I was talking about the love of God, I would say who loved you, gave himself for you. Or I would say who loved us. Gave himself for us. But Paul doesn't say that. Here's what Paul continually did, I believe. He continually let the love of God nourish his heart. And there's so many things. It says, out of the heart arise the issues of life. We are in the battle over the hearts and lives of a generation. And the best thing you can do 
is dwell on the love of God. Nourish your hearts with how he cares about you. And anything that contradicts that, disagree with. Even if you're wrong, disagree with it to understand more about life. But never disagree with the love of God. Never disagree with the love. It's transformational. And if you need to be transformed, it means when you're thinking about the love of God, you're still pretty messed up. You know what I'm saying? You don't get this right because you're perfect. But God loves you perfectly. So, great word, Andy. My goodness. So good. Thank you. We have teams to pray for you today if you'd like prayer for healing, uh, prophetic ministry, encouragement. If you will come up and show up right over here on this side of the auditorium, we'll have a team that will help minister and pray for you. And it really does work, and they're good at it. So if you'd like to do that, you can come now. Otherwise, have a great week. God bless you folks. So glad you're here. And the Lord is good. And his mercy endures from generation to generation forever and ever. Amen.